Hello, and welcome to the IJ Notes podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to explore the work of journalists around the world. I'm Devin with the IJNet team. Today, I talked to John Watts, an environmental reporter who has reported on the Amazon for over a decade, versus a Latin America correspondent for The Guardian, and for the last five years as The Guardian's global environmental editor. He is also the founder of Sumauma, a newsletter putting the rainforest at the center of environmental reporting. I talked with John Watts in the aftermath of the killings of journalist Dom Phillips and indigenous expert Bruno Pereira in the Amazon last June. We discussed the risks environmental reporters face covering the Amazon, why environmental reporting is like war reporting, and what journalists can do to manage risk covering an increasingly dangerous beat. John Watts, welcome to the IJ Notes podcast. Thanks for having me on. So what brought you to report on the environment, on the Amazon and environmental reporting? Um, well, I didn't start as an environmental journalist. I was, a, first of all, a Japan specialist um, and started writing on um, the financial crisis and the World Cup uh, and other topics of broad interest as a correspondent. It was really when I moved to China to become The Guardian's East Asia editor in 2003 that my attention started to turn to environmental problems. I'd always been somewhat interested, uh, but when I arrived in China, you just couldn't avoid it. You, you, every time you stepped outside your house, you breathed in the problem. Um, the choking smog in Beijing where I lived was horrendous. And uh, my two then young children, uh, they would go to school and sometimes they weren't allowed out at break times because the air was so bad. And the water quality was bad and there were cancer villages. And I ended up writing a book about the environmental cost of China's economic development um, called When a Billion Chinese Jump. And I think it was the process of writing that book that really um, put me on a path that I've never left since. I think uh, once you start to look at the environmental uh, issue, um, you, you really can't unsee it. And after that, I think everything else seems quite trivial. Um, that's my experience, but I know it's the experience of many others who've covered this beat. And in fact, it start, you start off and you think the environment is another story. You know, you have economics, then you have politics, then you have sport, and then you have the environment, and then blah, blah, blah. But pretty quickly you realize, in fact, the environment is not just another topic. It's a prism to see absolutely everything. When you do that, um, it changes your perspective, your priorities, uh, and that's certainly what happened to me. So after that, I became Asia environment correspondent for The Guardian. And then I thought I really need a break. And Brazil seemed like it was doing everything right at the time um, in terms of trying to get rid of uh, deforestation or at least reduce deforestation enormously. So I, I, I moved to Brazil thinking, OK, it's a different economic model. Maybe it will be uh, a better balance with the environment. So I spent five years as Latin America correspondent. But sadly, I, I, I came to the conclusion that actually Brazil was just further behind the curve than China. And China was further behind the curve than uh, Europe and the United States, of course. And so um, this uh, was, you know, it was, it was quite, quite uh, shocking, but at least I had a very clear picture of the way things are going. Um, and, and so then I had the chance to go back to London for the first time in 25 years 
and to be global environment editor for The Guardian and try to look at these problems from a global perspective and make the most of the experiences I'd had in Asia and Latin America. Um, and that's kind, almost uh, brings us up to date, except the last um, part of the story, I guess, is that I, you know, I'd, I'd written so many times in stories that business as usual um, is, is destroying the planet. Um, that I eventually came to think that journalism as usual is not good enough. I love being a journalist. I admire you know, what the purest sense, what journalists do. Uh, but I, I felt like just sort of telling two sides of a story, this, this old school way of doing journalism really just didn't cut it anymore because sometimes one side of the story is so much clearer than the other and more truthful than the other. And that this idea that journalists have to be sort of in the middle and objective um, was misleading often. You know, it's, it's a good idea a lot of the time, but other times, it, you know, there very clearly is a right and a wrong. Um, and I think with the environment, that is the case. And so I decided to sort of move beyond my, my, my comfort zone and, and I set up the Rainforest Journalism Fund, which uh, is $5.5 million scheme to provide financial support to journalists who want to cover rainforests because it's expensive and it takes time. And a lot of even the big media organizations are reluctant to send people uh, deep into the forest because of the costs. So we thought, OK, we'll help with the costs and then hopefully we'll get more coverage. So. This was a, definitely a step beyond what I was used to at the time. And now in the next month, we'll set up a new newsletter um, and web platform that is called Suma Uma. And the idea is that you look at world events as a journalist, but from the perspective of the rainforest. And so you look at everything from the center of life rather than the center of money or the center of power, which is, which is where most journalism was born. And the idea is we base it instead, we center it here in the Amazon. And that as a result, you are looking at the world from a forest perspective. So the forest always comes first, not the, not the money, not who controls what, uh, although obviously they're important too. Um, and, and so it's, it's an attempt to find a different way to tell stories, communicate, um, set values. Um, it's, a, it's, it's exciting, but it's an enormous leap uh, for all of us involved um, because we're trying to do something that doesn't exist. So even we don't know what the end result is or whether we'll be able to achieve what we want to achieve, but we, we know we want to try and we need to try to do something different. What are some of the major issues and stories that you think that are really important to be reporting on right now? I think the primary one is um, the destruction of the rainforest is, is, is well known, but perhaps not enough is appreciated about the role of traditional communities, and such as indigenous groups who live with the forest and have learned to live with the forest and have um, an expertise of living with the forest. And for too long, it, they were treated as sort of backward and uh, obstacles to development. But in fact, especially the indigenous communities, you know, they have thousands of years of expertise of, of uh, managing the forest. The, the Amazon biggest untold story, or rather 
underreported story about the Amazon is that this is largely an anthropogenic forest. This isn't a wilderness uh, in the sense that it's empty and nature just does its thing. Something like 40% of the forest, our archaeologists believe, was planted by indigenous communities that go from place to place. And in each place they, they would settle, they would cultivate the land, they would plant the trees that were most useful to them. So, so fruit trees and medicinal trees. Um, and there's, there's evidence of black soil, which is sign of uh, a settlement by humans uh, in, in swathes of the Amazon. So this is, these are communities that learn to, to grow the forest, to live with the forest, to manage the forest, um, and, and more recently to protect the forest, because many scientific studies have shown that the, the best protected uh, areas of forest the big, are, are indigenous areas and that the, the best, most cost-efficient way to draw down carbon is to um, guarantee indigenous land rights. So I think that, that side of things, I think much more can be made of that um, and appreciated and instead of just seeing indigenous groups as sort of backwards and uh, obstacles to, to so-called progress, which often is anything but. Recently, we've been seeing threats to journalists and experts who are reporting on these regions. The murders of journalist Dom Phillips and indigenous expert Bruno Pereira reporting in the Amazon. Can you speak to the events surrounding this and what risks journalists do face in reporting on these issues? The risks have always been there. The murders of environmental defenders are, are all too common. Um, now and in the past and in Brazil and also in many other countries, particularly in the global south, in the developing world that still has many areas of many holdouts of nature. These are areas where over centuries, but particularly over the last century, indigenous people have been pushed further and further back. And so has wildlife been pushed further and further back. So these are sort of holdouts, these are enclaves. And this is also where a lot of the last untapped mineral resources and, 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 and other targets of extractivist industries happen to be. And, and so there is, there is a fight going on in these lands with people who are trying to protect the last chunk of land they've got. And, and then sort of corporate interest moving in and trying to exploit whatever it is in the soil or that, that, that is valuable to them that they want to take out. And, and I think this is, for me, this is, this is usually reported as when there, is, when there is violence, when there is a killing, um, and there are, there are something like 200 every year of environmental defendants killed, according to Global Witness. Generally, if, the, if these murders are reported at all, and usually they're not, um, then they're reported as sort of one-off killings in some really remote place that don't really matter to the average reader. So they're, you know, they're marginalized. But when you put them all together and you start to see the pattern about how similar many of the cases are and the kind of issues they're fighting for and the kind of interests they're fighting against. And when you look at the death toll, which is higher than in many sort of conflict zones, you start, you know, there, there is a global war against nature going on. And environmental defenders are on the front line. And reporters who cover them and interview them and travel with them are, are war correspondents in a way, this undeclared global war on nature. And, and, and Dom, obviously, he hugely admired and respected Bruno Pereira, 
who was um, an, an indigenista, an expert on indigenous issues, a, a true believer in protecting the Amazon and, and in the importance of the role of in, indigenous people. And Don really came to admire him. And Bruno was really the target. Don, like many journalists throughout history, happened to be there to witness a crime. And so he was, he was silenced. And that, you know, that's what happens when you're on the front line and you see something that people don't want you to see. So, you know, he was, he was killed doing his job, which was going out into uh, off the beaten path and covering stories that he felt were underreported, but very important. Is there a concern that this will cause an intimidation factor on other journalists who convince them not to report on these issues? I think the opposite is true. I think it's inspired more journalists to finish Dom's work, to do similar work, to cover the Amazon more thoroughly, to make sure that um, these kinds of forces can't just bully people into not telling the truth. I think, I think there, needs, there, there is more concern about security than there was before. I know many organizations, including the Rainforest Journalism Fund, including the Committee to Protect Journalists um, and others, um, have, have put in place um, tighter security protocols, which is what you'd recommend a journalist to follow if they're going into one of these areas. Um, things like you know, what, what you need to take with you, the equipment to be safe, um, how to make regular call-ins, with people back at base or at your headquarters so that they know you're following a set schedule and you haven't gone missing. The importance of maybe choosing where you interview people rather than traveling with them um, and, and a whole bunch of things. So yes, it, 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 there is more concern, there are more safety protocols, but at the same time, I think there's more reporting than ever um, of, of the kind of issues that Don was reporting. So it, it, it's chilling, but it's, it, it hasn't intimidated people. It's inspired people. You were earlier speaking to the role of environmental defenders. What is the role of journalists to support these environmental defenders who are facing threats and arrest and direct attacks? Uh, I, I think the role of journalists is, is, to, is to find a truth that is relevant to them and relevant to their audiences and to try to find maybe a truth that isn't widely known to their to their audiences, um, to go onto the ground and see for themselves so that they can challenge their own preconceptions about a story. That's always very important. To go with an open mind still, you might have a, a sympathy in advance for one, for one side or another, but often when you visit a place, your, your thoughts completely change when you see the reality on the ground and it's not exactly as you see it. But the main thing is to go out and talk to people who are usually ignored um, and amplify the voices of uh, people who are, are badly affected by major developments, um, whether that be a hydroelectric dam like Belomonchi, or whether it's a, a new planned gold mine like Belosun, or whether it's farmland uh, that's been carved out of the Amazon, or whatever reason, because these do affect readers um, in other parts of the world. Uh, and and that, that is the ultimate role of a journalist, I think, is to make those connections. The connections between the individual incident and the, the bigger picture, the global patterns behind those individual incidents, and not just say, this happened, this happened, this happened. You've got to look for context. Yeah. Journalists must think about context, about joining the dots. That's the first kind of connection. 
Then the second kind of connection is making a connection between the subject and the reader. So that it's not just something that happens in a faraway place that has nothing to do with you. It's just exotic and interesting, like a fairy story or, or an adventure story. It's actually connected to you. you. It's affecting your life and your life is affecting that life over there. Um, so in, in the case of the Amazon rainforest, that means obviously showing how the beef you eat, uh, whether it's deforestation-free beef or whether the chicken you eat is fed on deforestation-free soy, um, uh, the gold you, you have in a ring or a tooth, whether that's sustainably mined or not, etc. I mean, that, that, that's one way of making the connection. And then the other side of making that connection is to show that what people in the forest are doing is protecting an environment that's useful for all of us because there is no solution to uh, the climate disruption without the Amazon rainforest, without strong uh, carbon, natural carbon sinks. And that this is essential for all of us. It's like one of the world's organs. Um, and, and so making those connections, I, I think, is essential. And on that last part, I think that's the challenge. And I think maybe that's where journalism and often or sometimes fails. It's making the emotional connection. Yes, first you must tell the truth. Yes, you must get the statistics, but you've then got to make the emotional connection so that people don't just understand it, they feel it. And that's that's really hard. That's the hard part of journalism. And that's, that's, that's an important part of journalism. And it, maybe this isn't always the most recognized kind of journalism. I think all of us who, who grew up in uh, a culture of sort of Western mainstream journalism. Uh, you know, our heroes, or at least my heroes, you know, the, the real shit stirrers, the investigators, the ones who um, expose and uncover and, and upset people. You know, there's that famous phrase that's often taught and always attributed to somebody different that, you know, if, if, if it doesn't upset someone, it's not real journalism. You know, there's that school of thought. But that's not enough. That you know, that's good. That is one type of good journalism, and that is important journalism. But there are others. There's important journalism where you're you're telling a story that hasn't been told, but that's important, um, and and finding truths that haven't been that haven't been told, and and it's more reflective. It's reflecting something that maybe people haven't seen before, um, and that kind of journalism, I think, is. Is really important too, that making the connections type of journeys, not just, oh, it's horrible, oh, it's a problem, but wow, yeah, that's, that's, look at that, 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 I'm partly responsible for that, and what happens over there partly affects me. And that kind of journalism, I think, is, is for me really, really fascinating and important. I want to come back to something you said earlier, which is the idea that journalism is journalism when it upsets someone. There is certainly environmental reporting that upsets people. Cases in India, Colombia, Mexico, Brazil, of people being arrested, attacked, and even murdered for this. Do you feel like it's a more dangerous era now to be an environmental reporter, or has this always been the case? It's it's a very good question, and it's it's only difficult to answer because there, there aren't clear statistics on this. Um, I think the Committee to Protect Journalists has, has done reports on threats to environmental journalists. And I was part of a, a series called Green Blood uh, that we did with Forbidden Stories a few years ago that looked at threats to environmental journalists or intimidation or killings or uh, murders were really quite rare. Um, I think threats and intimidation are very, very common. 
Um, is there more of this? My, my instinct is that almost definitely yes, just because there is much more environmental journalism than there was in the past. And environmental journalism has more prominence than it did in the past. It has more impact than it did in the past. So it's more of a threat than it was in the past. So my sense would be that yes, and it will increase even more in the future. Um, and it, it's, again, it goes back to what I was saying about that there is a war and it's kind of like being a war correspondent. And if you're on the front line and you're embedded with uh, an environmental defender, as in a sense Don was with Bruno Pereira, then there are risks involved in that. I think Don would have been aware of the risks, maybe not quite how great a risk. Uh, I don't think he would have risked his life for that if he knew it was so dangerous, but he certainly knew there was some risk. And, and all journalism is a risk calculation, because if you, you know, if you wanted to avoid risk, you wouldn't go out, you would just write in front of your computer all the time at home. But you, know, you, 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 you assess, is this story worth this risk? Um, is this important enough? Uh, and you make a decision. For journalists, especially young journalists or journalists just getting into environmental reporting now, what advice would you have for them even as they're managing and weighing the risks involved? I would encourage them to get more involved, to really follow their, their instincts and their, their beliefs, um, to follow good journalistic practice. But I'd also say don't rush. I, I think there, there is a danger, especially when you're young, that you want to cut, cut, cut corners and catch up and get ahead. And that, that can be very dangerous if you're in this kind of situation where you really need to feel your way in. Try to go with someone who knows the territory. Ideally work alongside a journalist who has more experience for a year or two uh, to, to just get a feel of things. Look at all the safety protocols um, and follow them as, as rigorously as you can. And, and sort of build your career out. And I, I can just hear the young my myself in my twenties listening to that advice and probably say, oh yeah, well you would say that. But I, I you know, I'm, I want the story. I want to get ahead. You know, I, I know what I'm doing. I, you know, I'm, I'm no idiot. Um, okay, there will be people who do that, but I, I, I think you've got to be really careful. Again, it's like a war zone, and. A lot of the ca journalistic casualties in war zones tend to be freelancers and people trying to get ahead and people who don't have the protection of, a, of, a, of an organization behind them who are trying to just, just get that story that the others are slightly too afraid to get. And, and then they take a risk and maybe they, they're more willing to take risks than the others. And that calculation, they haven't maybe yet had the experience to know what that calculation fully is yet. So my advice would be a mix of have enthusiasm, but temper it out uh, over some years so that you, when you are in the field and you're doing the story you want to do, you have the skill set you need and, and you're going to come back safely because there's no point going out and doing a story if, if you don't get to write it up. If you're one of these journalists, keeping that advice in mind. Beyond the Amazon, which is a huge story right now, what other parts of the world, what other stories would you be keeping your eye on? Uh, you know, the, there's so many. I, I, I think the, the climate and nature story is, is getting bigger and bigger all the time, unfortunately, for all the wrong reasons. 
And it's, this is going to continue for the rest of our lives, for the rest of the century. And you can just look around now in the past week. Uh, we've had these devastating droughts in the Yangtze Basin of China. We've had extraordinarily destructive floods in Pakistan um, and lots of other climate-related events. But, you know, putting, connecting those things together, reporting on those things on the ground, I think these are really important. And then, yes, going to these, these places that aren't well reported to talk about people who are affected, who are on the front line, um, I think this is very important. And, and so that's, you know, that, that, that is here in, in the Amazon, but it, it's, it could be any of the last healthy biomes left in the world, most of which are in the global south. So it could be, you know, it could be the rainforests of Congo or Papua New Guinea or Burma. It could be uh, the Antarctic. It could be uh, you know, the wetlands of the Pantanal. And, you know, there, there, there are many, many of these, these places and just trying to find new ways to tell the story, to, to show what's going on and not just to allow this sort of climate apartheid where there's one part of the world that sits tight in air-conditioned cities while another chunk of the world is exposed to these uh, increasingly dangerous uh, climate conditions. I would say that if you're going to be an environmental reporter, there will be times when you are asked about or you feel and ask yourself, you know, am I helpful? Am I filled with despair? Because it, you know, it's a tough. It can be a tough beat on 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 your mental health sometimes. But I would I would say that it's ultimately very. It's the best way to deal with uh, anxieties about what's going on in the world. Because if you ignore them, then I think that it just resurfaces, um, and it's much better to face it full on and do what you can when you can. Um, hope and despair. People talk about that endlessly. Uh, I think in the end, it's doing what you can do when you can do it. And that gives a sense of purpose. And that's, that's a, a great motivator. And, and I hope that there is you know, a new generation of, of really great climate journalists who, who find innovative and fun and clever and influential new ways of, of, of talking about problems that We've been talking about for some time and we haven't fully fathomed what's going on. We haven't got it through. We haven't overcome the resistance of the fossil fuel lobbies and uh, uh, apathy and fear. But we keep trying. And I think new ideas and new thoughts, new approaches will get there in the end. This episode concludes our series on environmental reporting. You can check out the previous episodes anywhere you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to be the first to know when we publish our next series. For more resources on environmental reporting, check out ajnet.org.